Welcome to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. I'm your host, Timmy G, providing your weekly dose of insight and inspiration for mental and emotional well-being. Are you ready for your weekly brain bath? Let's go. Mental health news from around the globe. talk. I'm your host, Timmy G. Today's news segment is going to focus primarily on pot and cannabis legalization. Some updates in the news today from CBC. This article is called Shameful. Cannabis customers floored by the amount of plastic packaging on their pot. For every gram of cannabis sold, there can be as much as 70 grams of packaging waste, according to some of Canada's first cannabis customers. The amount of plastic, cardboard, foil, and wrap that's being used to package and market cannabis seems excessive to many. According to Remy Robichaud of Moncton, it's really shameful. Being a coastal province, they should do something about the, about the amount of plastic that's going into our ocean. Robichaud says a friend of his used a food scale to compare the weight of a gram of cannabis purchased at Cannabis NB to the 70 grams worth of plastic foil and packaging that it came in. Seeing the amount of plastic being used for such qualities, quantities is terrible. In Nova Scotia, the issue is similar, according to Greg Mack, who purchased his cannabis from an NSLC store. I think the packaging is excessive, he said. Look at what comes with one gram of weed. You've got a cardboard box that comes in a bottle. That bottle is sealed with more plastic. And you open it up and see how much weed actually comes in the bottle, and you think, wow, there's a lot going on there. Mac purchased four grams of cannabis, then shared a photo online of the excess plastic bottles, wrappings, and cardboard that were used to package it. That photo was shared hundreds of times, resulting in many voicing their displeasure with what they consider to be excessive packaging. Mac goes on to say, I've been buying from uh, medical dispensaries for two years now, And all I ever get is Ziploc bags of different variations. And that's always been pretty good for me. On its website, Health Canada mandates that cannabis be packaged in an immediate container that is tamper-evident, child-resistant, prevents contamination, and keeps cannabis dry. It also states that regulations would require that the immediate container be opaque or translucent. Products could have both an inner and outer package, but every package would need to be labeled in accordance with the proposed requirements. It also states that each order of cannabis include an informational document developed by Health Canada that includes health and safety information. Robichaud argues cannabis packaging could be made of glass instead of plastic and reused, similar to how craft beer producers use growlers or glass jugs that can be refilled with beer. Mac agrees and says being able to bring back enough plastic bottles for a discount of their next purchase would be smart in an age where companies and governments around the world have pledged to reduce their own plastic waste and even ban the plastic straw. It'll give some incentive, and that is a smart way to go about it, says Mac. All right, looking at 
Where are we heading to now? BNNBloomberg.ca. Cannabis stocks tumbling in early days of legalization. Shares of major Canadian-listed cannabis companies extended their broad declines Monday as investors pull out of the volatile sector just a few days after recreational use was legalized in Canada. Legalization has not been kind to some of the country's biggest names such as Canopy Growth Core, Aurora Cannabis, and Tilray, which have seen their respective stocks suffer double-digit declines since October 17th when adult use of marijuana in Canada was permitted as Bill C-45 came into force. Canopy Growth, the largest uh, country's largest marijuana producer, sank 11.2% on Monday and has tumbled 26.2% over a five-session losing streak that dates back to the day before recreational cannabis was legalized in Canada. Meanwhile, Aurora Cannabis fell 12.2% on Monday and ahead of its debut on the New York Stock Exchange Tuesday. Other key decliners in the marijuana space include Leamington, Ontario-based Afria Inc., which has fallen more than 20% since the close of trading on October 15th, while Tilray shed almost 20% of its value over the last two trading sessions alone. Smaller producers have also taken a tumble with Kronos Group and Can Trust Holdings, both down almost 30% since last Tuesday. Cannabis sales in Canada have been mired in shortages as provincial and private sector retailers struggle to keep up with the strong demand for recreational pot across the country. Five provinces, including Ontario and Quebec, counted about 172,000 orders placed on the first day of sales, leading some government agencies and private retailers to issue product shortage warnings. Manitoba warned consumers that supply shortages could last at least six months, while Quebec highlighted that cannabis oils, capsules, and pre-rolls would be in short supply. A milestone for the sector will come Tuesday when Aurora Cannabis starts trading on the New York Stock Exchange, allowing more visibility for the company's shares in the U.S. Rival producer Afria has also applied to list on the NYSE, although it has not announced when its shares will start trading south of the border. While some investors may be taking the opportunity to employ the buy the rumor, sell the news strategy, Canadian cannabis producers have been underperforming their U.S. publicly traded peers over the past week and month, according to a report uh, Echelon Wealth Partners issued to its clients last Friday. American producers such as MedMen Enterprises and MPBX Bioceutical Corps were significant gainers over the past week amid M&A activity within the U.S. space, as well as the announcement of a bot deal financing by Green Thumb Industries. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. In 2017, CFRC Radio celebrates 95 years of creating campus community radio in Kingston, Ontario. Over the last 95 years, CFRC's governance has evolved. Once supervised by Queen's University and later by Queen's Alma Mater Society, since 2014, CFRC has been an independent, self-governing, not-for-profit organization. 
Its board of directors has representation from Queen's University, the AMS and SGPS, CFRC Radio Club, and the Kingston community. Learn more about CFRC, Canada's longest-running campus and community radio station at cfrc.ca. You're listening to talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. You can also access our podcast versions of talk on the CFRC Podcast Network. And continuing with the news today, looking at uh, recreational cannabis and the legalization issue. Recreational cannabis raises concerns for Protective Services Director. This from Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, One of the groups whose concerns venture further than public use. Uh, Brad Ward, uh, Fort Saskatchewan's Director of Protective Services says, if we look at the experiences wherever else it's been legalized, there's been an increase in consumption, increasing collisions, and an increase in hospitalizations. We know that there's going to be a negative consequence with the legalization. At Fort Saskatchewan's Committee of the Whole meeting on Tuesday the 18th, Ward recognized that there will be people who consume cannabis responsibly, but expressed serious concern for those who choose to drive after. One of the other issues brought up was the long-term health effects on youth and cannabis users under the age of 25. The biggest unknown is that there hasn't been a lot of medical research done because it wasn't a legal product, but based on what we've seen in other jurisdictions, there will be issues, added Ward. Public cannabis consumption was the topic of 2018 for Fort Saskatchewan counselors. The rules have trickled down to the local detachment where RCMP officers will not be able to use cannabis within 28 days of a shift. Telephone Aid Line Kingston is a crisis, distress, befriending, and information listening service based in Kingston. Talk is confidential, non-judgmental, and anonymous. We are a safe place to call when you don't know where to turn. To reach our aid line between 7 p.m. and 3 a.m., call 613-544-1771. For volunteering information, please email talkrecruitment at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Tamara Cicerella, a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns. Deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals. On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addicton in offering confidential, quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services, Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613-544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388. Let's get personal. Our talk feature interview. You're listening.
listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. Next week's guest will be Nick Foley. Nick is an entrepreneur involved with some different projects. He's also a youth speaker, speaks all across the country to different groups, primarily about the message of inclusion. So it'll be interesting to hear from Nick and some of his earlier years and what led him in the direction uh, that he's currently taking. A few updates. MindWell Support Group, a weekly drop-in group that I facilitate. It's free uh, every week. Starting November the 1st, there will be an information session at 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard. That is St. Paul the Apostle, uh, Major Intersection, Bay Ridge, and Taylor Kid in the hall, which is in the basement of the church. An information session about MindWell Support Group. If you're dealing with stress, anxiety, burnout, or any other issue that has got you down or keeping you up at night, I suggest you come out to the information session on Thursday, November the 1st, 7 p.m. in the hall. I will be uh, leading a talk that evening, and we will hear from a couple of MindWell participants hearing from their vantage point how MindWell has helped them in their life over this past year. It will be the third year that we are uh, launching the session. runs weekly. As I said, it's free. It's a drop-in group. And uh, it would be great for you to come and check it out Thursday, November the 1st. Anybody who shows up that evening uh, or throughout the course of the session this year to MindWell itself... Uh, after the information session, you will receive a free copy of my book. So anyone who shows up to the group that night, Thursday, November 1st, information session, you will get a free copy of my book. And if you decide that you don't really have a need for mind well in your life at this time, uh, the book is yours to keep no matter what. So not a bad idea to come out, check it out, and hear what's going to be happening that evening. Uh, let's see. So lots happening in the news with uh, pot legalization, cannabis, and it's going to be interesting to see how all this unfolds. Certainly with uh, the different things that are happening in terms of emergency room visits and people getting sick, not knowing how to use products properly, cannabis products. Uh, there's going to be lots happening, so I want to. Uh, I will touch on this a little bit later in the show. I will share some updates from uh, talk that I went to a few weeks ago at Holy Cross High School. Doctor Deji Ayanrend, I think I have his name right. He is an associate professor at Queen's University in the psychiatry department. He did a talk at Holy Cross on cannabis and the adolescent brain. So. I'll share some of those uh, updates, the information that he shared a little bit later in the show. Now I want to uh, take a little bit of a trip down memory lane. And as many of you know, anybody that listens to the show on a regular basis, if you're just tuning in for the first time, uh, I had a nervous breakdown back in 2008. Not something that I was expecting to happen or had uh, planned to happen. It wasn't one of those dreams that you put on your vision board, but life happens and you deal with it as best you can. And hopefully as time goes on, you get better at dealing with whatever problem is in front of you. And so 
At the same time that I was dealing with recovering from this nervous breakdown, um, I was working at a homeless shelter in the Ottawa area, specifically the Ottawa Mission. And a few years before I started working there, life will send you signs. And uh, some of you might have heard this story before, but one evening, uh, 2006, it was New Year's Eve. My wife and I had just finished eating at a lovely restaurant in downtown Ottawa. So this is 2006, uh, New Year's Eve, so a couple of years plus before I started working at the mission. And so my wife and I step into the chill of freezing rain as it rips at our ears. It is a terrible ice, uh, not the terrible ice storm that was in Ottawa, but a terrible freezing rainstorm. The sidewalks were covered with ice. Uh, visibility was, couldn't see four feet in front of you because of the size of the ice and just the, the volume that was coming down. And so we made our way to the car and I noticed the same man struggling for warmth amid his tattered belongings. He was there when we pulled into the restaurant, we parked on the street up around the corner, he was there, and I noticed him, and I thought, geez, like, what a night to be out. Not only uh, to be out, but to be out alone and with virtually nothing. And so, as we slid into the car, I turned it on. My wife's cell phone rang, and I had no money in my pockets on the way into the restaurant because I paid for the meal with a credit card as was customary back then. And so, when my wife's cell phone rang, I thought, this is my opportunity. So I grabbed her purse, precisely as she grabbed her phone. Rummaging around, I looked for anything. And I found $20, or a handful of change, maybe $3. And so... I grabbed the 20 and I step back out into this terrible frigid night. And as I approached this man, he had a torn plastic sheet that was doing its best to protect him from this onslaught of ice that was dumping from the sky. And as I got closer, I noticed that he had a very long, disheveled beard, and I reached in, handing, extending this $20 bill to him, and I said, Here you go. I hope this helps. And without hesitation, he looked up into the sky, and he said, God, let him have his dreams. As my wife and I drove away on that terrible evening, this man helped me to remember that hope still lives. And sometimes it can mean the difference between living until tomorrow or dying today. Little did I know, as I drove away on that night, that in less than two and a half years I would be working at a homeless shelter a few blocks from where this man was, helping many others like him reclaim their life and their health and their destiny as they would be helping me reclaim mine. 
Because you see, just before I started working at this shelter in 2008, I had, like I said, a nervous breakdown that destroyed me. And it would take me over four and a half years to recover. But, but more, more prominently to the story, I'm often left wondering, yes, I made a nice gesture, gave this man $20, but what did I really, really do? That $20, giving him $20, that was convenient for me. What would have been inconvenient for me, and what would have been a grander gesture of an acknowledgement of his loneliness and his pain and his fear and his abandonment and societal rejection, what would have been a grander gesture would have been to welcome him into my car for some warmth, to possibly drive him to a shelter, or even grander yet, to welcome him into my home for a meal, or a shave, or a shower, or a place to stay for the night. And so I'm, as much as this experience is one of my greatest memories that evening, that haunting and yet inspiring way that he looked up into the sky and said, God, let him have his dreams. I'm left always wondering what holds me back from doing more. I have a similar story. When I was living in Seoul, South Korea, teaching English back in 2004, 2005, I came back to my apartment one day and I taught English from 2.30 to 8.30. So my mornings were free and basically my evenings were free, which was fantastic. And so I'd gone out for a little bit and came back to my apartment. And this Korean woman this very weathered-looking Korean woman and her dog were sitting on the steps that uh, went into my apartment building. I lived on the first floor, so literally walking in the building, uh, I would be at my door. And so this woman was sitting there, and it was raining quite hard that day, and she didn't have much, a bag, and her dog. It was very obvious that she was not in a good situation. And so I gestured to her and, and kind of smiled and, and she kind of acknowledged me as I walked by. And I went into my room and I, and I lived quite modestly in, in Korea. I mean, I had a uh, maybe a, I don't know, 14 or 16 foot by 16 foot bachelor apartment. The kitchen and the bedroom were all one. The uh, bathroom was the shower. You literally stood in the bathroom and there was a shower head and everything got wet when you took a shower. And so I went into my room and I thought, geez, like, I was looking, rummaging around, looking, what could I, what, could, what do I have that I can give this woman? Anything. And so I found an umbrella and I grabbed $40 
and I went back and I I gave it to her and uh, just the look on her face she was just over overwhelmed with uh, gratitude that I would be thinking of her in this capacity and yet since that time again I look back and have continued to reflect on this experience and I think sure I did again I did what was convenient for me gave her $40 big deal give her an umbrella go buy another one but had I have done what was less convenient for me perhaps I would have invited her in now she may not have accepted you know this white guy who can't speak her language inviting her into his apartment maybe not the wisest move on her behalf who knows but regardless of that what else could I have done there are other things that I could have done um, and I didn't and so it made me feel good to do what I did and I'm not necessarily discounting the small gestures by no means am I doing that because every little bit helps every little bit feeds the well out there in society and we we do need to do the small things and and yet there is often so much more that we can do that we're capable of doing and we don't maybe it's due to fear maybe we just don't think of it at the time um, and yet those who have have the capacity to do so much more and I'm frequently reminded of the story Mother Teresa Arizona radio station many years ago interviewer after the interview off the air said to her uh, you know what can I do to help you can I run some like a uh, some type of uh, you know drive on the radio get people to donate money and this is what she says to this man this, this radio host she says no none of that will be necessary just go out on the street tonight and find someone who's alone and convince them that they're not go out on the street tonight and find someone who's alone and convince them that they're not just let that sink in for a bit like let that sink in next to all the other pursuits that we have wound ourselves up for the pursuit of money and money and money and, and our our egos pursuing things that build us up and and make us feel significant in the eyes of others we can rest well at night feeling good that other people are impressed with us 
that becomes the basis of our soulful existence. Running around doing things so that others will be impressed with us. And accumulating things. Accumulating and accumulating and and chasing this carrot that we are told and taught and bred to believe. If you if you catch this carrot, if you if you if you catch up to it and you're able to grab onto it, you will have found and achieved all that there is to in this life. You will you will find happiness if you catch this carrot this golden calf more money a bigger house when you already have sufficient belongings to last three lifetimes chasing status and power all of these things these carrots juxtaposed juxtaposed against this, the words of Mother Teresa, go out on the street tonight and find someone who is alone and convince them that they're not. Our priorities often need a shake-up. We spend 20, 30, 40 years pursuing an idea, an ideal, power, money, status, possessions, so that we can insulate ourselves from the fear that we inherently feel deep down inside. As long as we believe that others continue to carry a perception of us that we've got it all worked out, then we delude ourselves into believing that as well. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what this is about. Got to read between the lines here and understand that our priorities get so displaced sometimes we get running around town chasing stuff. Not looking into people's eyes as we cross the street. Not saying hello when we walk through a door that someone else is holding for us. The simple, basic things that make us human, that make us real. And so as you reflect on your life, I never tell stories to make someone feel bad or build myself up or... It's not about any of that. It never is and it never will be. It's really to compel you to sit back and reflect upon am I really living from a emotionally and spiritually elevated place, a deep, soulful expression as I go about my business. Because it's important to step back and reflect. 
Otherwise, you get to be, you get to be, you get to the end of those decades, 30, 40 years, and then you're left and you, re- you come to the realization that, wow, I've been chasing this carrot. This person, that person, and this organization, and that teacher told me that if I, if I chase this all my life, that I would, I would be successful, I would be happy. And yet here I am, 40 years later, 50 years later, 60 years later, recognizing that happiness is elusive, it's transient, should not base my success in life uh, on whether or not I'm happy, because happiness will come and go. And so bad times will show up, painful situations, mental illness, physical illness, loss, all of these things will show up at some point in your life. There's no way around it. When you're young and naive, you think that you can you can somehow capture this formula that's going to render you immune from having to deal with real problems. And yet the maturation process catches up with you and you come to realize that you can't avoid those things. And so once you come to a healthy acceptance that these things will continue to pop up every once in a while, you don't ground your foundation in happiness, but more in meaning. Because you can extract meaning from anything the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs and the lows. Meaning can be gleaned from it all. And so, (coughs) and so, I think what it comes down to is this. Comes down to relationships. That the most precious asset in your life at the end of the day are the relationships that you have. It's not how much money you have. It's not whether other people are really impressed by you, think that you're really cool or that you've figured it out or, or that you got the biggest house on your block. No, nobody, it's, it's not important. What, what defines you at the end of the day and what feeds your soul properly are the quality of relationships that you have in your life. And so, this is really why I decided to name my album that was released last Thursday, October the 18th, my first album was released online. You can get it at, check it out at uh, www.forgivenessg.com. That's forgiveness, letter G.com, not G-E-E or some other abbreviation. Forgivenessg.com. It's also on iTunes and a variety of other online retailers, music sites. That's why really I decided to name the album Trust. Because the quality of our relationships 
depends upon the strength of trust, the, the quality of the trust bonds that we have with each other. And if there's been breaches, broken trust through misunderstandings, overt and direct behavior, then the quality of those relationships is going to suffer. So the only way to repair that is to repair the trust and build up again. But I see as I look out that there's so many examples of trust that's just... You don't have to look far across the political spectrum in Canada, certainly not far in the United States, to see um, the way the media reports what's going on out there, to see that trust, there's, there's a tremendous breakdown in trust in our political uh, structures. The divorce rate is another indication that there is a tremendous breakdown in trust within intimate relationships. Bullying and all the different things that happened on the school, in the schoolyard and friendships, fly-by-night friendships coming and going when you're younger. Um, having your trust broken is a terrible thing. Whether you're a spouse, a friend, politician, business leader, church leader, having your trust broken is a terrible thing. And it's hard to know how to get back on track because when we're hurt we create distance between us and other people and so for me for me when I was consciously choosing an artist's name a name that would represent me at this point in my life for the rest of my life for the rest of my life for the work that I do in this world as a counselor as a coach as a talk host a radio host as a musician, as an author. Forgiveness is so powerful. And so we may think that, oh, forgiveness is this grand thing, and it can be, that it's this grand thing that we have to, we have to go through this majestic process. No, every little day, every situation, getting cut off on the highway, um, getting bumped out of line somewhere, butted, whatever it is, like there's so many situations in the day that we get triggered by and it just feeds our resentment and our bitterness toward humankind, the goodness of people. And so we continuously just keep closing ourselves off from, from public society. And maybe we're out in the world but we don't trust in the same way. And so the only way to repair those bonds and to be free again is through forgiveness. And you can exercise forgiveness in your car on the freeway, taking the bus home from work, in a business meeting. I mean, you can exercise the practice, the conscious practice of letting go and freeing yourself from the this this dysfunctional bond that you have with this other person you can free yourself from that 
and the emotional dysfunction that results from it in you. They don't even know maybe that it's going happened. It's all in you. You're the you're being imprisoned by this by your dysfunctional emotional infrastructure. And so every day of the week you can free yourself and let go, consciously choose to let go of these situations. And then the next step after that is to begin to ask your reflect on ask your question, ask yourself questions. Why do I get so triggered when somebody cuts me off? Why am I so why is that so close to the surface that when somebody cuts me off or somebody walks through here's one that I like that happens. I will hold a door for someone and they will walk through the door, not even look at me. And that will boil me. I will think how how in the how in the world can you walk through a door that is being held open for you by another person and not even acknowledge that they are that they are doing a gesture those things burn me and so I, after those situations i have to ask myself and reflect on why do i why am i so amped to the point that it's like it isn't like 45 steps to get to that emotional response it's like half a step i'm like there like this snap of the fingers why why is my tank my emotional tank structured in such a way that i get so irritated so quickly get so angry so quickly and it just continues to feed that that orientation toward life that's that says that that reinforces ah, most people i just can't trust just can't trust them can't trust them to be civil can't trust them to be good can't trust them to be respectful can't trust them to be kind can't trust them to be generous can't trust them to acknowledge me can't trust them to do the right thing and on and on and on And so, trust in practicing forgiveness or the practice of letting go each day of the, the junk that's just there, sitting there, waiting for us to resolve in a healthy way or pick it up and add it to our baggage. Throw it in the backpack and keep on going. Backpack's getting bigger and bigger. And life just feels like more and more of a burden. This is the case for a lot of people out there. It's not the case for everybody. And some of these situations are definitely circumstantial, situational, where we go through these things, we feel them for a short period of time, and then they're gone. We get back to regular life, and everybody's, you know, everything's good, making the money, doing the traveling, getting everything all checked off. But for a lot of other people, you know, I, I have to ask too myself and for a lot of other people that are dealing with this kind of emotional burden which really in a lot of ways feeds feeds into ongoing mental health challenges that just feel like they're never going to go away i have to ask you know with all the different problems in the world i mean there's a lot of amazing things going on don't get me wrong i don't this isn't a doom and gloom this is just looking at the situations honestly and squarely that need to be looked at honestly and square 
and also acknowledging all the beauty and the, the just tremendously wonderful things that are going on in the world as well. And so I do have to ask myself the question at this time in history, human, human history, you know, what is it about the society, the way that we've organized our society, the way that we've structured our way of living that is emotionally and spiritually not meeting the needs of large numbers of people? What is it about the way that we've structured our economics, the way that we've structured our work life, our family life? What is it about all those different layers that, that eventually there's this compounding effect where it's like, man, I said I wasn't going to be a dude on a treadmill, rat stuck in a cage, and yet I struggle with the reality that I'm a dude on the treadmill of life and I'm just going through the motions. Going through the motions and 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 not feeling in control, I guess. A sense of control uh, that feeds our souls. A sense of control in our lives that we are able to Pursue the creative things that we want to pursue, that we want to spend time with the people that we want to spend time with, that we want to see the places that we want to see. It seems to me that there are things that we've done, and I don't know what the answer is. I just know what I see when I look around, when I share articles each week. Uh, kids, adults, across the board, school system, work, corporations, workplace, Anxiety, depression, burnout. Um, it's off the charts. It's off the charts. And it's hard to know whether the numbers are so high now because we just have the means to track those numbers. Or is it that it's uh, it's always been that way? Or it's something specific to what's been going on in the last few decades that have 30, 40 years, what have you, that has led us to this, this point. Did people not, you know, 100 years ago, did people not deal with the things that we're dealing with in a mental health, in a mental health way, mental and emotional health? Did, did these things not, were they not rampant in society? Or were they... And we just couldn't measure them back then. It wasn't talked about as much. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that. But I do know that there's a lot that we do have control over. And we have to exercise that control in a way that makes us feel like our lives have meaning and significance. And likely the way to do that is not to be pursuing status and money and power. Because there's only a handful of people in any given uh, subgroup of the population across the world that ever becomes famous or rock star, or professional athlete, what, whatever you wanna, whatever you look at as like the the most prized uh, role out there that you could aspire to, um, 
small percentage of the population ever goes on to be doing those types of things. And so, so that's probably not, not the wisest approach to base your happiness on whether or not you achieve X amount of dollars or whether you achieve X amount of uh, fame or recognition, notoriety. There's so many other uh, things that you can uh, feel good about and feel happy about and feel like there's a lot of meaning and have good relationships in your life just on the day-to-day at your local level. Just on the local level. Learning to be here now. Not always thinking about the next thing, where I'm going to be. And then when I get there, then, you know, people are going to be even more impressed with me. And that'll, that'll in turn feed me. I'll feel good because they like, I'll feel good about me because they feel good about me. And that'll, that'll affirm me and I'll feel validated, aided. And that whole cycle is, we're stuck in that whole cycle. It's, 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 it's a, it's a ticket to emptiness because you just got to keep juggling. Got to keep the balls in the air. You got to keep up a facade that everything's good and we just need to be human. Allow ourselves to be real and be human, share our feelings, trust, forgive, let go. It's not a formula, it's just these little things we need to practice every day. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. If you like great music from the 60s and 70s, and good covers. Listen to Frankly Speaking, music to tickle your memory bone on Fridays at 1 p.m. on CFRC Radio. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. If you want to access past episodes of Talk, simply go to the website, click Archives, and search Wednesdays 4 p.m. Some updates from a talk that I went to last Thursday evening at Holy Cross High School. Dr. Deji Ayanrind was there. He is a uh, associate professor at Queens in the psychiatry department, but also is the head of a early intervention psychosis program. And so he was sharing some facts as they relate to cannabis in the adolescent brain. So I'm just going to share some information that I gleaned from the slides that Dr. Deji shared, which I think is important in terms of being aware of the impact that cannabis can have on the developing brain. And if you are a parent or you're just somebody who is interested in what is going to happen within society now that uh, marijuana is not only legal, but it is being packaged and sold in a variety of different ways in drinks, chocolate, gummy bears, you name it, cannabis is being put into everything. And so uh, let's look at the slides. So one of the first slides that Dr. Deji shared has to do with percent cannabis use by grade. And so grade 7, which is age 12, 1.7 users of cannabis. As you get to grade 9, you're looking at about 10, a little over 10%. That's age 14. And then at grade 12, percent cannabis use by grade, grade 12, 
percent, 37.2 to be precise. Let's look at the percentage uh, in terms of how cannabis use is being used, the way that it's being ingested, if you will, or or taken in. 2.4% drinking it, 3.9% water pipe, 6.9% e-cigarette or vaporizer, 9.4% in the form of a blunt, 10.6% in food, we have 19.8% in the form of a joint, and the highest, 21.4%, a pipe or bong. Mental health effects, cannabis and its influence on mental health. It increases the risk of hallucinations, delusions, and disorganized thoughts, and in particular, psychoses and schizophrenia, particularly if it's used from a, from a young age. Also, if it is used frequently, daily or almost daily, and also if there's a family history of psychosis or schizophrenia. Frequent cannabis use increases the risk of depression, bipolar disorder, suicidality and suicide, and also anxiety disorder. Addictive properties. Cannabis is addictive. There's a lot of different perspectives or viewpoints on whether cannabis has, has addictive effects on the body, the mind, what have you the human person, it is addictive. Approximately 9% of adults, or 1 in 11, who use cannabis will become dependent. And if you started using cannabis at a young age, that number jumps to 17% of adults who use cannabis. And also, 1 in 2, or 50% of people who use cannabis daily have either work, social, or health problems from using cannabis. The impact on driving and accidents. Use before and while driving significantly increases the risk of accidents. It impairs attention, concentration, and reaction time. It impairs decision-making and the ability to judge distances. It may cause drowsy and reduce alertness. And if you use it with alcohol or other drugs and sedating medications, the risk is significantly increased. Testing. Uh, so saliva will be used for some of the new police tests. And in the urine, you can test positive for THC metabolites for up to four to six weeks after frequent or heavy use. I read an article yesterday that showed, I believe in for the Toronto Police Force, that there is now a ban for uh, officers who heading into active duty, a 28-day ban. So that makes it very difficult for anyone on the police force in Toronto interested in using marijuana recreationally. 28-day um, ban from partaking, if you will. Also, another way to test hair samples. Hair samples can test positive for THC products for up to 90 days after use. The metabolism of cannabis. So how is it broken down in the body? And when do its effects start to take shape? If you smoke it or you inhale it, the effect on the brain is about three to five minutes. It peaks within about 10 minutes to one hour. 
and a, the effects are reduced after about three to five hours. However, <clears throat> excuse me, if you consume it in some type of edible gummy berry chocolate, or if you drink it, it's infused into something, the effect on the brain shows up in about 30 minutes to two hours. It peaks between one to eight hours, and the effect can last from four to 12 hours. So I think this is significant because if you don't know, you're a younger person or an adult, and you're into recreational marijuana and ingesting gummy berries on the weekend or on a Tuesday night, if you don't know that there's a delay in the uh, effects of that gummy berry, and so you take another one, maybe you take a third, suddenly your system is going to be flooded. And some stories that I've heard that are happening frequently with younger people is that they don't know that there's a delay in the, the onset, so they do take multiple servings to the point that they are greening out. That is the hip, cool term now for uh, getting sick from marijuana ingestion and from smoking is to green out, you know, vomiting, getting sick, throwing up as a result of the uh, strong impact that the drug is creating within the body of the user. Uh, cannabis smoke is harmful. You should not use it if you are pregnant or breastfeeding. You should not drive or operate machinery after using cannabis. And as I said earlier, cannabis can be addictive. And a certain percentage of adults will go on to become dependent on it and will experience withdrawal symptoms if they try to stop. Uh, regular use of cannabis can increase the risk of psychosis and schizophrenia. And adolescents specifically are at greater risks of these harms. As I said, Dr. Deji, Dr. Deji is an associate professor at Queen's University in the psychiatry department and overseas is the head of a early intervention psychosis This has been program. another edition of Talk with Timmy G on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. If you have any questions or feedback or would like to be featured on the show, please email me at info at timothydgoche.com. That's info at timothydgauther.com. Every Thursday from 7 to 8.30, I facilitate a free drop-in group called MindWell. It's a support group for anybody dealing with burnout, stress, anxiety. Again, that's every Thursday from 7 to 8.30. The address, 1111 Taylor Kidd Boulevard at St. Paul the Apostle. Till next week, be smart, be safe. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.